How nice to be here. Thank you so much for, for having me, really. Um, as, as you know, I'm normally a morning service man for simple practical reasons. Uh, normally at about this time on a Sunday evening, I'm wrestling small children into bed. Uh, but uh, Nicola has very graciously agreed that she would do that uh, all on her own. Um, and I'm very happy to have her make that sacrifice. <laughs> Um, and that brings us really on to our, our theme walk uh, with me in sacrifice. That, that word probably conjures up uh, a variety of images and ideas and thoughts. Um, sometimes it's, you know, it's something you do to get a, a benefit for yourself, isn't it? I mean, you might uh, sacrifice playing Fortnite uh, to, uh, to study for your GCSEs, uh, or your parents might wish that you would sacrifice playing Fortnite. Alternatively, you might uh, give long hours to build a career. Uh, or, or perhaps more nobly, you might uh, sacrifice time or money, money for, the, for the benefit of somebody else or uh, for others, full stop. You know, maybe volunteering in a youth movement or going shopping for, for people who um, are shielding, uh, that kind of thing. And of course, a variant on that is as a church, you know, one of our key things is we focus on others uh, rather than on ourselves. Um, and we invest ourselves particularly in, in ministry like Kids Church or Leading Worship or DBS Checks um, or, or whatever. Uh, but in, our, in the time of the reading we've just had, sacrifice was not any of those things. Sacrifice was bringing an animal, a lamb, or a goat or a bull, uh, or whatever, and having a priest kill it on an altar. And there were several reasons you might do this, um, but they boiled down either to kind of celebrating being part of God's people uh, or being cleansed, being clean, either of sin or of some kind of formal impurity which meant you couldn't uh, go uh, near God's presence. For example, once you'd given birth, you had to make a sacrifice uh, to be clean again so you can go into his presence. Uh, and in the first line of, uh, of the reading, uh, we met a man uh, called Elkanah uh, who is going up with his whole family to make that kind of sacrifice. And uh, we're told he does it every year. Uh, but this year, unusually, his wife, Hannah, isn't going with him. Uh, she's staying at home uh, to look after their baby boy, uh, which might strike you as entirely sensible, uh, but there's a bigger reason for it. Uh, she is uh, preparing for a very different form of sacrifice. Uh, just in verse 22, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Uh, and that does sound fairly innocuous. You know, it's a bit like a christening or a baptism, uh, like the one we had this morning, perhaps. Uh, but in fact, it is a very, very big deal. And here is why. Hannah and Elkanah can't have kids or couldn't. Month in, month out, there was no blue line on whatever passed for pregnancy tests back in those days. And, and of course, that's uh, a big and challenging deal uh, for any couple uh, in our day. But back then, it was also a massive pain point uh, socially. And Elkanah, uh, bless his heart, uh, makes it worse. 
there's no such thing as IVF. Uh, so he thinks, well, I want to have children. I shall take a second wife. And he marries uh, somebody called Penina, who does, in fact, manage to give him children. Uh, unfortunately, this makes it painfully clear to Hannah that she is the fertility problem. And Penina, of course, knows that she is second choice Charlie. Uh, so she decides to make Hannah's life a misery with sniping and kind of ostentatious cuddles and, oh, look, Elkanah, here's your son. <laughs> uh, and this goes on for year after year. Uh, and, of course, Hannah is worn down by it. Uh, she loses her appetite. Uh, and then there's, there's a, a crowning glory, um, just to illustrate what she has to go through. This wasn't in the reading, uh, but there's a little verse where Elkanah says to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? <laughs> and he's either being clumsy or he's just total loss as to what he can say in the face of this situation. But of course the answer is no, you great gumph. You're not worth more than ten sons to me. Um, and at the annual sacrifice, one year things come to a head. They're sitting down, they're eating and drinking, and perhaps Penina puts in a dig, Elkanah winces, and something in Hannah snaps. But it snaps in a good way, and it turns out for the good. She stands up from where they're sitting, and she walks into the place, this kind of tented area, uh, where God's presence dwells, and she prays something which she's been, I think, considering for a long time. And it's verse 11. O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then, deep breath, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head, which was a way of saying completely dedicated. And the priest in charge, a man named Eli, says, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. And he does. She falls pregnant and, they, and she gives birth uh, to a boy she calls Samuel. And that is where our reading starts. Uh, in our reading, we see her making good her word, her promise to give Samuel over to be dedicated to the Lord. Once Samuel is off mummy's milk and consistently on solid food, so mm, about the age of three in those days, perhaps. It's a bit sooner now, uh, probably about the age of three, but still incredibly young. She takes him to Eli and she makes a formal oath. That's the as surely as you live bit. And she hands him over. So after bonding with her one and only son, in the closest way a human being can really, between mother and child in the early years, she effectively hands him over to somebody else for adoption. So this is a big thing. This is an enormous wrench for her and it's a huge sacrifice. And the rest of the book of 1 Samuel and, and 2 Samuel tells of the significant results 
that flow from that sacrifice. And Samuel grows up, he becomes a, a, an extraordinary and mighty prophet, and he's used to establish God's king in Israel. Uh, and so uh, Hannah's story has a lot to tell us about sacrifice and how to handle it. Uh, whether, you know, it's what you might call, I suppose, I hesitate to use the word routine sacrifice, but you know, the stuff you do every day, the things, the way you put yourself out for other people, or the commitment to ministry where you give time and effort, that kind of thing, the stuff you sort of walk with, or something bigger and more specific and perhaps more life-changing. So uh, let me just uh, make three points from the passage and then we'll just talk about uh, three areas of sacrifice. So the, the, the first point is this, and it's the biggest one. Uh, sacrifice is about the Lord. Uh, it, it's, with sacrifice, I think it's quite tempting to approach it in a way that doesn't actually help us. Um, there, there's the, the way of self-importance. You know, Here I am, making a jolly big sacrifice. Look how spiritual I am. God will surely notice this and bless me. Or, or there's uh, spiritual machismo. I am a total warrior for God. I need nothing. I sacrifice all. I am invincible. Or the charitable instinct. What a jolly good cause. I'll, I'll favor them with some of my resources. Or the noble self-pity, oh, I can scarcely afford this, worn down as I am by previous burdens and sacrifices that would break ordinary people, but I give it anyway. Or um, perhaps looking backwards, dwelling on the sacrifice made, and, oh, what have I lost? And so on, you can probably think of others. But all these approaches lead us down the garden path because they focus on us. Uh, but if you look at Hannah, she doesn't dwell on the sacrifice or herself or the child she is losing. Uh, her song does have some links to her personal situation. Uh, verse, uh, uh, verse, six, sorry, verse 5, she who uh, uh, was barren has borne seven sons. Uh, so it's a bit of a reference. She hasn't had seven sons, but she's had a son. Um, uh, but really, it moves to celebrating God. You look at verse 1. Uh, in chapter 2, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My, the Lord, my horn, which means my strength, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. So Hannah is recognizing that God has already been at work, that he is mighty and unique and beyond understanding. He, uh, the theme of the passage, he is the great reverser of human affairs. It's he who has done uh, uh, the, the thing that's allowed her to get pregnant. Um, uh, he has given her Samuel as an act of mercy as part of his bigger plans. And that he and not the sacrifice she's made is what uh, is the rock that she should now cling to. So, uh, of course, for us, mostly our sacrifices will be smaller. Uh, the wallet, the earlier alarm clock, the rumbling tummy on fasting day. But the same principle applies. There is a bigger picture. There is a 
bigger God to focus on and draw near to, a God who gently leads us to that sacrifice so that he can respond as an act of mercy and fulfill his big and joyful purposes. So that's the big point. Uh, two other smaller ones. Uh, just first of all, uh, sacrifice often involves a moment of commitment when you kind of you cross the line, you know, the die is cast. And you can see that in verse 26 for Hannah in chapter 1, as surely as you live, my Lord. You know, before that time, I bet she had a lot of moments when she really wrestled with the promise she'd made. And that, that period prior to making a sacrifice or committing to a sacrifice can be difficult. It can be agonizingly hard. It's like squeezing through the neck of a bottle. But once the commitment is made, it can be a source of tremendous liberation. Uh, John Wimber, who was one of the key church leaders in the last quarter or so of the 20th century, had a a successful career in the music business with a chart-topping band. I believe it was the Righteous Brothers, is that ringing bells? Were they a chart-topping? Melissa's looking at me and thinking, no, 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 that wasn't my era. Rupert's saying, oh no, that was far too late for me. The righteous but Anyway, the point that point, he had a successful career with them and they were breaking into the top ten and, and doing extremely well. And at that point, he felt God's challenge to give up his career. And he wrestled with that choice. And in his words, I was miserable kicking and cursing and swearing around the house until he finally prayed, okay, Lord, you can have my career. Uh, And in one of his books, he writes, it was as though two giant hands came out of heaven and opened my fingers and a voice said, thank you. So there's a a moment of commitment. And and then uh, just to say sacrifice is still possible despite pressure and pain. Um, Hannah was childless. She could have descended into self-pity. She could have closed her heart to the Lord and to others. But she didn't. She, she maintains her walk with God. She develops her prayer life. She persists in loving Elkanah, uh, which can't have been easy, uh, and in not striking back at Penina, which was even harder. She persists and she sacrifices in the middle of difficulties. Uh, and uh, maybe you sometimes feel just too tired or too busy or too cash-strapped or to relationship less, to have the mental and emotional capacity to contemplate sacrifice. And, and I can understand that because I absolutely feel that too. You think, oh, what? Something else? You know? um, and, and certainly I don't think that God uh, intends us to keep sacrificing without any kind of respite. Uh, nor do I think uh, we should do it when it's genuinely self-destructive. Um, I, I recall a time when uh, at a church I was at a number of years ago, the, uh, the, the caretaker heard a sermon on giving and said, that's it, I'm going to go and give 30 or 40% of my income to the church. And the vicar had to say to him, no, 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 stop, you can't afford that. That wouldn't be right. Uh, and, and also, it's not the case that all difficult circumstances are somehow occasions for sacrifice or, or indeed something that God engineers. 
But the point is that the, here is a woman who is an encouragement to stay the course and, where appropriate, to make considered sacrifices, even if circumstances are tricky. So there we are. That's, that's the passage. Let's sort of move back to our lives. Um, let me just suggest a few areas where this lands for us. Uh, the first is uh, financial. Uh, money. Moolah. Dosh. Wonga, that dates me. <laughs> that was 1990s. This is often a, a, a tricky area, of course. Money uh, easily gains a hold over us, or, or we may not just have very much. Uh, and even if we do decide to give, uh, there are questions of how much and who to. Uh, but it is important to get things on the right footing with money, to manage it, to keep it in place, and we do that by giving. And, of course, there is an opportunity for this at the gift day next week. Um, uh, these wonderful buildings we have here uh, are the fruit of sacrificial giving by church members 25 or so um, years ago. And every year we give to a building project uh, as a way of saying, you know, thank you to God for these facilities. Uh, and this year, uh, you may or may not have seen it, but we are giving to the improvement of a church centre in Mearside, which is a highly deprived area in Blackpool. Uh, so it's part of God's m much bigger picture of what he is doing with his church in the UK. And I think particularly um, uh, the building needs some new toilets. Um, and this is important because I don't know about you, when I go to a school or, uh, or to an office or whatever, I look at the loos. I evaluate the company or the school or whatever else by the quality of the toilets because that shows how much they care about people because you know, different people use different bits of a school or a, a college or, or, or a church or whatever, but everybody needs the loo. So can I commend that to you? Um, if you're looking for a guide as to how much, um, uh, one good principle uh, not the only one, but one good one is give what you can rationally afford plus a little bit more um, and cheerfully. Uh, as a past treasurer of this church used to say, it's not a tax. So uh, money, uh, the second one is prayer and fasting. Uh, we, we've been thinking about this recently, haven't we? There was that big prayer weekend uh, last weekend. If you were the person who did 3am to 4am, well done. <laughs> Um, uh, and of course, um, uh, as we begin the search for a new vicar, we're focusing on that. We're asking the Lord to send us uh, the right man or woman for the job. Uh, and prayer, more generally, is the fuel of the Christian life. Uh, I occasionally send out uh, an update to a few friends uh, in which I give them items for prayer, whether that's work or, or family or church or ministry or whatever. And uh, well, one of the friends who gets it is a very reliable and faithful prayer. I can count on him. And at one point, Tuesday morning was his slot to pray for me. And I noticed that Tuesday was quite reliably a better day spiritually for me. Uh, to the extent, and uh, please don't laugh, I started trying to make any important decisions I had to make <laughs> on a Tuesday because I knew that that would be the best time for it. Now, of course, he gets up at 6 a.m., uh, which I cannot, could not ever do. But however 
you do it, uh, faithful and consistent prayer is hugely valuable. Um, it's especially good, by the way, when it's combined with fasting. Uh, that's going without food as you pray. Uh, and that's something that God just seems to esteem and to honour. And I, I know Sarah talked about this last week, uh, uh, but I, I'll refer you back to her talk for all the wonderful truths about how to do it. But just to say that one useful pattern is to miss breakfast and lunch uh, and pray during those breakfast and lunch times. Um, and then eat something at about three o'clock or so. Um, that's the pattern the, uh, the Methodists used to have in the early days. Uh, they did it twice a week. That was the requirement. If you were going to be a Methodist minister, you had to fast twice a week. I think it was Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, and you had to do that slot. But it, it works. It's manageable for most people. Um, uh, but do drink. Uh, because otherwise you'll get terribly crabby. Um, so there, there we go. So that, that's prayer and fasting. Uh, the, the final uh, area of sacrifice um, is about romantic relationships, uh, marriage and singleness. Um, and this is obviously a big area. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, I, my, my history for what it's worth, when I was a student, I was full of uh, enthusiasm and I decided that what I really needed to be as a, you know, an outstanding man of God was to be single for the Lord. You know, to dedicate my life to being single for the Lord and doing, doing his work. Uh, and I sort of wandered around in a, a haze of well, spiritual machismo, I suppose, um, for a few days. And, and then I went to see the, uh, the, the vicar and he very graciously and very kindly smiled at me and said, no, <laughs> I, I wouldn't commit to doing that. Um, it is a regular and normal part of life um, to get married. Um, uh, that said, I was then mostly single till 31, um, so I sort of know what that's like. And then I, I met Nicola, and we've been married for 12, 12 years. Don't tell her I did that. <laughs> 12 years now. Um, and I just want to bring two observations from that experience. One is just to acknowledge that our experience and our attitudes in this area can be really powerful in shaping our walk uh, with God and our life, uh, whether for good or for ill. And the second is, when I was single, I really wanted to be married. And now I am married with children, <laughs> I sometimes, only sometimes, think, blow me, this is hard work. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being single again. <laughs> and each state has its pros and cons. Each has its own sacrifices that you have to make. Singleness gives freedom from the distractions, and they are substantial distractions, of marriage and family to focus on the things of God. But it can lack a rootedness, so you need to work on friendships. And of course, there is the challenge of celibacy. Marriage and family can give great stability but they make life much more complex and they can crowd out God quite easily. So you really have to work to carve out time with him. Um, so whatever situation you're in and whatever nuances on those situations you're in, uh, the best advice I've heard is aim to bloom where you are planted as best you can in company with God. Um, he is not ignorant 
of these situations. He's fully aware of their importance to us. Uh, you see in verse three, the Lord is a God who knows. Jesus has been single and he is now married or at least engaged to the church. So he knows what each state is like. Um, speaking of Jesus, let me just finish by taking you forward a thousand years uh, to a time when another baby boy arrives in a pregnancy scenario that isn't just difficult, but frankly impossible because his mother was a virgin, whose conception is greeted with bursts of praise that use Hannah's words. If you look in a bit of homework for you, if you want, go and look in Luke 2. You see how often Luke picks up on these themes. But he takes Hannah's words and they raise them to another level. And then in the words of verse 6 to 8 here, uh, he is uh, brought down to the grave, to death, and made alive and raised up. And then in verse uh, nine, uh, 8, he has him inherit a throne of honor. So uh, Jesus fulfills this and more. You know, remember that wonderful uh, set of verses in Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, but made himself nothing. And taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that really is our big picture. For Hannah, it was a little bit mysterious. You know, she was mysteriously unable to have children, and then she was able to have children, and then she handed Samuel over and didn't know what would happen. But we respond in gratitude to a man who has openly and willingly sacrificed himself for us, and we'll, we'll remember that in a second uh, with communion. Um, Elkanah says to Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downcast? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Jesus says to his friends, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It's me. It's I myself. Touch me and see. I mentioned John Wimber earlier. Um, here is his verdict 30 years on from that moment of giving up his career. He said this, sacrifice should not be thought of primarily in human terms. We take up our crosses in order the more fully to follow Christ. I might have given up a promising career as a musician, but I gained the infinite joy of knowing God and eternal life. I thought it was a pretty good deal back then, and I still think so today. Amen.